to another episode of Living Louder, a podcast all about embracing our imperfections and taking a leap of faith into a richer, fuller, more empowered life. It's me, your host, Chauncey Bernay, and I say this every week, but I'm so excited about this interview, y'all. I think you are going to love who I have on the podcast this week. So I am interviewing a friend from high school, Niala Dupree Walker. And one of the reasons that I wanted to interview her is because she is a jet setter, she is a traveler, and she lives life on her own terms. And I see her Instagram posts and I am living vicariously through her. So I want to get her like her inside knowledge on what her passions are that have driven her to just kind of pursue this type of lifestyle because I feel like while not all of us are going to be like traveling full time and doing all these crazy things, I think all of us have a, a little spark inside of us that has a taste for adventure, at least that has a little taste of wanting something more, something out of the ordinary. And I feel that she is an excellent example of that. So we are going to do that interview soon. But first, let's do our good news for the week. Hey, 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 let's start it off with some good news. Hey, our good news for this week is coming to us from Instagram account Black Dollar Network. And uh, the story takes place in Moore Park in Northwest Detroit. So Moore Park is the name of a park that Jacqueline and Willie Moore actually created in their community. So over time, Jacqueline and Willie, this couple, they started buying overgrown side lots and landing property that surround their house. And they built this huge park that has an archery range, a basketball court, volleyball, everything you could think of, even a zip line. Um, and it's for the kids and for the community. So this all started because they wanted a house for tutoring for kids in the neighborhood to be able to come and to find their footing, uh, basically academically. And then over time, it just built into this huge community space. Um, they also have a community garden uh, and they partner with nonprofits basically to help them grow the garden. The uh, services are extended to seniors even. The seniors can come and participate in all of the services that they have. And the reason why I love this story so much is because this is completely self-funded from the Moors. They said that they basically, it's self-funded, not because they wanted it to be, but just because they felt the immediacy and the need for it. And they decided like, we just can't wait for other people to take part in this. We have to go ahead and make a change for ourselves. And one of the quotes that they say is, uh, we don't wait for change to come. We put it in place. You invest where you feel an investment is 
needed. I encourage you guys to go to Black Dollar Network on their Instagram account and watch this video. It's so heartwarming to see all these kids, you know, getting a leg up on their academics and being able to play outside and explore without, you know, fear of their safety or anything like that. It's so beautiful. And what started out in love from Jacqueline and Willie Moore has just grown and grown and grown. And it's just a beautiful testament to what one person, one couple can do in their community to make a change. So that is our good news for this week. All right, we are back and I'm going to play the interview I did with Niala Dupree Walker. Fair warning, it does end a little abruptly uh, just because we decided to go ahead and actually make this interview into two parts uh, since we were just chatting away. <laughs> so this week will be part one all about Niala's travels and the next week will be part two about pleasure activism. So enjoy part one. Hey, Niala. Hey, Chauncey. I am so happy to be talking to you right now. <laughs> same, same. It's been a while, too long. It has been such a long time. So before the podcast, we were trying to figure out, like, how long have we known each other? And what was it, Niala? 20... 24 years. That's crazy. Crazy. I'm like, <laughs> I'm only 24 right now, right? Like, I feel 24. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> That's what it feels like. Right. Especially like when you talk to someone who you haven't talked to for a while, it does feel like a blast from the past. Like, mm -hmm. I know we're grown, but I feel kind of like I'm in high school having a conversation. No, seriously. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. That's the fun of it. It's so fun. So tell me, what have you been up to? Girl, so I've been all over the place. I'm currently home in um, San Pablo, California, where my mommy oh, lives. Okay. And in the Bay. Hey. Yeah, in the Bay, yes, where <laughs> we're from. And um, it has been restful and restorative and all the things. Got my, so I came home to do two things. I came home to get vaccinated and to mm. clear out my storage. Okay. And yes. So, um, but yeah, no, I'm on summer break. I'm on like the sixth week of summer break and it is blissful. I will tell you um, for years, I, well, so this is my, my goodness, 15th year teaching, 14th or 15th, something wow. like that. I've been teaching since 2006, took a bit of a hiatus. I'll tell you more about that in a moment. Okay. But um, the first 10 years I was teaching, my dad would always be like, what are you doing? Why are you teaching during <laughs> the summer? Like literally one of the, one of the only perks of being a teacher is <laughs> not working off. Yeah, and during the summer. I would like work every summer. So I definitely burnt myself out as a teacher mm. teaching summer school, night school, Saturday school, mm -hmm. Sunday school, school on Mars, like literally <laughs> every school Everything. you could teach, I taught it. That's crazy. I could totally see you because you are such a like an energized person, like an energetic person, animated Girl. person. So I could see you just hopping into your dream career and just going. Going, right. And so I'm so glad that you think that that was it, honey. I was trying to make them coins, okay? okay. Like... <laughs> You were like that too, but that too, but no. And so it's funny. Cause I'm like, what do I even have to show for? But no, I do. I literally, um, you know, like I said, one of my loves has always been travel. I got mm -hmm. that honest. Um, my dad is a world traveler. So is my mm -hmm. mom. They have traveled separately, traveled together over the years. So I've all, I had that bug from a young age, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? And my parents were those type of parents that weren't taking the children nowhere. <laughs> so 
<laughs> if you wanted to travel, you had to figure it out on your own, you know? So, but for me, oh, oh yeah, girl, we didn't travel like my parents. We did like Vegas, SoCal, you know, sure. I mean? kids growing up and like yeah. both of my parents are from the Midwest. So we would travel back to where family is to Alabama, mm-hmm. to Chicago, to St. Louis. Um, so we did that as kids, mm-hmm. but in terms of like our parents taking us out of the country, it wasn't happening. So, really I that is no so interesting they weren't spending no money on that they were, and, and my dad was clear he was like I as an adult I mm-hmm. have, I made my money and I have traveled and you can do the same and so you know to be honest it was a great motivation and catalyst for me to like see them so I knew it was possible you mm-hmm. know what I mean but um then when, once I was able to make my own money it was like that you know was a typically what I was spending on so you yeah. know when I was a young teacher I was like okay I'm teaching this summer but as soon as summer school is over I'm in the Bahamas or yeah I'm in Mexico or I'm here so um so yeah so that was kind of what sparked you know my love of travel like I said it was my parents and then like finally having my own resources to do it and then it has just kind of blossomed from there that's amazing. So you started out like, so you graduated high school, went mm-hmm. to school and hopped right into teaching. Yes. <laughs> when did the um, combination, because we talk about that a little bit on this podcast a lot about like doing mm-hmm. what you love and combining your loves together. So mm-hmm. I think it just makes too much sense to combine teaching internationally because yeah. of those two loves. So like, how did you cross that bridge sure so I'm glad you asked that so um a couple of things happened like I said I had been teaching 10 years and because I was teaching all the schools Mm. I got I really got burnt out Mm -hmm. and so much of it was like with I hate to say the adults and the bureaucracy of it. You see what I'm saying? Yes. Like yeah. the, the kids, the kids are challenging, but I knew what I signed up for. And I love, you know, teaching youth and the energy you get from students. So the kids weren't the problem. It was, um, like I said, just the bureaucracy of teaching, jump, mm. excuse me, <clears throat> jumping through so many hoops. And there was always like a moving target of like, oh, this year we're focusing on That's this. Annoying. This year we're doing this. And now we, you know, are focusing on this program and we need you to meet, make these numbers and these test scores you know and it just was I felt like it was a moving target I felt like I was always trying to hit all of these you know Mm. markers and was you know always working so hard and doing so many different things as a teacher and was never really thriving and excelling at anything in Mm -hmm. particular Mm -hmm. yeah I mean how could you if you're if you're putting so much passion and energy into something into a goal and then they're like but now the goal is different it's like Mm -hmm. well what Mm -hmm. are we doing what are we doing what are we doing? So at one point, girl, they were like, oh, now you're an English teacher. Excuse me? You know, I was like, I'm a history teacher by trade. But they were like, no, social studies teachers now have to teach, you know, like critical skills and have to teach, um, you know, like language art skills. And so I had to like take these courses and stuff and do all of these like, you know, PDs and professional development things mm-hmm. to like learn how to also, you know, um, teach, you know, like English language skills and things mm-hmm. like and, and reading skills and stuff like that. So um while, like I said, I think those things have definitely helped me in my teaching process, you know, practice and teaching those kind of skills and content. It was a, it was a major shift. You know what I mean? So Mm -hmm. it was kind of like, okay, so now I'm not just teaching content. Now I've got to do this thing and work this new muscle. So, um, so yeah, so I say all that to say, got burnt out, um, got a degree, actually got a master's degree in clinical psychology. Oh, hey, yeah. Yeah. 
Yes, I love it. I got my MS in uh, marriage and family therapy. So we're like sisters. There we go. Yes, exactly. Yes. So I have a master's in clinical psychology. (laughs) I sometimes jokingly call it a master's to nowhere, but that's that's another podcast. I mean, yeah, it depends on what you do with that master's, but yeah. Right. There's a so, lot of work after that has to right, be done. Yeah, that's the whole thing, right? Yeah. That you don't anticipate that like this master's is only a stepping stone. You still got to get, you know, certified and you still got to get All licensed. And that's a whole thing, right? What made you decide to do that? Um, to, so to be honest, so me and one of my best friends, who's also who I started, we started teaching the same year. We always call ourselves like teachers who've been trying to get out of teaching, right? <laughs> so I love being an educator and I'll yeah, talk more about that in a moment. Um, but it is not easy work, you know what I mean? And, um, I have kind of wanted, well, let me say this. I know that my calling and purpose in life is to be in the helping professions, Mm -hmm. interfacing with people, supporting people, working with people. So I'm clear on that. Right. Mm -hmm. But at this point in my life, what that looks like and the capacity in which I do that work for me does not have to be teaching. Does okay. that make sense? Yeah. So, so for instance, I will, at some point I will go and get licensed and things like that. And would like to, you know, be a professional counselor. Um, I would love to run, you know, workshops. So for instance, you know, girl, the DNI diversity and inclusion is big yeah, now. It's you know, popping. So people are like, girl, you Listen, right, popping, right? Yes. Right. It's so a, it's I'm a like, good time to be alive right now. Hello. For that. Yep, seriously. Right. Yeah. So I'm like, I would love to do that type of work and maybe do like corporate education. You see what I'm saying? And You'd teaching adults. So I know, like I said, I know what my um, strengths are, Mm -hmm. but I don't feel like it has to be in a traditional like high school classroom anymore, if that makes sense. Of course. Yeah. You want to be an educator. I want to be an educator. That's what what I said. I'm an educator at my core. I'm I'm clear on that. But what that looks like could be lots of different things, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, So like I said, got this master's, but I was also teaching full time. So I didn't get to do like the internships or the practicum or get the clinical it's hours. It's very that difficult I to do both at that, the same right? time. So after 10 years of teaching, I was like, I'm retired from teaching. <laughs> <laughs> and everybody was like, girl, please. please. 32. Yeah. <laughs> they said, go ahead though. <laughs> right. But that's what I, that was, I was like, I've been doing this 10 years. I'm retiring. So I went and worked at the largest outpatient mental health clinic in Washington, D.C. Oh, wow. And it was some of the most gratifying, but also some of the most difficult work I've ever done in my life. I chose to work on a team with schizophrenic young mothers. That's tough. Yeah. And I chose that team because I've always wanted to work with women. So that's another thing that I'm really big on is just like, you know, women's health advocacy and mental health advocacy and, um, you know, just promoting more mothers. I believe women are the most important people on the, pl- on the planet. We're the most impactful to me by far mm-hmm. in terms of like helping society move. You know, men know mm-hmm. how to mess things up <laughs> you know, and we end up fixing a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, so I've always wanted to, you know, work in support of women. Right. So I go into this job, but I also started suffering from some, you know, mental health issues myself, just in terms of like, I would spend literally all day running around town, doing various things to help, you know, manage my clients and their lives Mm -hmm. and my own, my my personal life was kind of falling apart. Right. Um, Right. There's only so much room. Girl. 
there's only so much room. And so then would like go home after doing that all day and still have to find the energy to write clinical notes. And girl, so I was always behind in my clinical notes. Right. And then, so at that time I was in my, you know, kind of, you know, early to mid thirties and started experiencing um, crippling anxiety like in mm. panic attacks, never yeah. experienced it before in my life. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So because of this work, I started, you know, just have, I, I literally like with monthly at the end of every month when I was behind on my clinical notes and about to get fired, I would call my dad crying. You know? Aww. But, you, but you know you what know? I hear you saying, Niala, it's like, it's not necessarily the work that was the issue, but it was the workload they were putting on oh, you. Yeah. It's not manageable. I feel yeah. like Mm-mm. employers are trying to squeeze so much out of their Mm -hmm. employees. And it's like, if you had a caseload that was manageable, you would be able to do that and to thrive. But Mm -hmm. there's no reason why you have to work that hard and then get home and have to write all these notes. And there's not enough time in the day for you to be able to live your life. Like that's, it's unmanageable. It was not manageable at all. Um, So, yeah, so I did that work for about two, just under two years. Mm -hmm. And let me also say, when I transitioned to that work, I took a big pay cut. Like I was literally, yeah. a te- teachers don't make a lot, right? But I was making decent money, you know, mm-hmm. as a teacher in Washington, D.C. And then um, ended up, I was making like half of what I had made as a teacher, as a social worker. And having anxiety and panic attacks. Yeah. All of that. So it was like, yeah, something's got to give here. My dad was like, well, give, give it some time. You know, you've only been doing it a little while. Oh, no, I've been doing it for long enough. <laughs> right. Yeah. Two years. Mm, we're good. Long enough. Yeah. So I decided like, OK, what's the pivot going to look like? Are you going to go and get this Ph.D.? And, or are you going to go teach abroad or move back home to California? So, you know, I had some options. One, mm-hmm. one of my aunts always told me, honey, it's always a blessing to have options. She said, if you have options, you're not trapped. You know I what I mean? It. So, yeah. So I knew I had options, um, considering moving back to California, considering teaching abroad, went to this job fair in New York, got offers to teach in Bulgaria, okay, Kuwait, and oh. Taiwan. Uh, Taiwan, please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. See, I didn't even have to say anything. Right. Taiwan, please. So, um, it took me a couple of years in DC of just, like I said, you know, just things not falling into place, just, mm-hmm. you know, feeling, um, you know, yeah, just like I said, not feeling like myself, not feeling, you know, motivated or engaged and just, um, not in a good, you know, space, like I said, career-wise and just kind of all those things. So um, moving to Taiwan and teaching abroad has been one of the best decisions I ever made. That's Seriously. so amazing. And you've yeah. been teaching, you've taught in a lot of different countries. So where all have you, has this taken Jeez. you? So, well, I will say this. So technically I've taught in um, like I said, so of course in the U S I've taught in Taiwan, which is mm-hmm. where I was, you know, living and contracted to teach. Um, but one of the things that I love to do is visit schools. Like I said, I believe if you want to get your finger on like the pulse of what's going on in the world and what our future looks like, and, um, you know, just the energy, you know, of kids and just to see like, okay, we know what um, education looks like in America, but like, what does it look like for other kids? What do they have access to? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? 
Um, so I always try and go to visit a school when I'm in different countries. It doesn't happen every time, but if I can get to a school, I love going. And it's That's so awesome. funny because sometimes like I'll plan and think about like, oh, okay, when we get there, like, what are we going to teach the kids? And other times, like you may have seen recently, mm-hmm. I posted a video where they were like, okay, Miss Walker, like, what do you need to teach the kids something? And I'm like, oh, uh, so I mean but again I am true to this not new to this right Right. stay ready you won't have to to get ready I had to pull something out of the woodworks honey so I was like all right we're gonna learn about the oldest bones today you know love it and like literally that was just me like I said being a history teacher for 15 years just being like okay I can you know I can teach the kids something you know if I've got five minutes let's do it so I always try and visit schools I want to know like I said what schools look like all over the world um I especially love going to places and seeing those brown faces you know what I mean and now um, I did two years in Taiwan Mm -hmm. and it is a gorgeous country I mean Mm. like when I left there during the summer, we were like going waterfall chasing. It is oh, so green beautiful. and lush. There are, you know, it's an island. So it's like literally surrounded by beaches. <laughs> you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Um, people were lovely. I lived in what you would call like their central park. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. now ZD park in a, a, you know, high rise on the 16th floor. You know what I mean? Yes, living. So I was living well in Taiwan. Yeah. I, I will admit I was at a really, really nice school. Um, was blessed and I've been blessed um, everywhere I've gone to make you know just amazing friends and had an amazing group um, there but it was it felt like I was visiting in Mm -hmm. a lot of ways you know Mm -hmm. what I mean it didn't quite feel like home yeah so and I will be very honest with you some of that was because I was one of the only people of color in that space now let me be clear Um, of course I was in an Asian country so you know yeah um, but in terms of you know like black and brown people um, they're just I was like I said there were three of us um, associated with my building so there was myself there was another teacher who was in in the elementary school and she was she considers herself Afro-Latina and then our superintendent who's a wonderful man he is married to you know a black American woman but she didn't work at the school technically you know she just was school adjacent you know right yeah Yeah. um so technically I was like the only black person Mm -hmm. and more specifically the only black person many of those students had ever encountered Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so my reception from the adults was wonderful you know Mm -hmm. what I mean like they embraced me never had any issues we had a really really tight-knit group they were Mm -hmm. lovely um never for one minute made me think about like being othered you know what I mean? But as soon as I stepped into like Taiwan at large, the world at large being there, I, I very much felt, yes. <laughs> felt othered, yeah. felt like the minority, felt singled out um, quite often. And a lot I of know, times I know all eyes were on you. you know, yeah, no, if some people can do it, I personally have never been able to do tough. it. It was tough. It was really tough. And um, 
yeah, that, that isolation Mm -hmm. was, you know, really hard for me. Um, so yeah, so now I'm currently teaching in Cairo, Egypt. Okay. Um, and literally depending on what side of the city I am in, have a view of the, um, Giza pyramids, which as we know, are like one of the seven wonders of the world. Amazing. And drive past the Nile river and have drinks, you know, uh, with the Nile view, um so yeah so as I mean like I get I'm getting emotional I literally get chills um be, you know as a history teacher there almost is no better place mm. I could be in the world you know what I mean I mean the the depth of history there 4,000 years of history which is some of the oldest documented history on the planet you know what I mean mm-hmm. It's just unreal. So like I said, I still get the tinglys, you know, thinking about it. And even when I'm there, I'm like, you know, am I really, is you know, real? like, is this real? Yeah, it, it is. It is quite surreal. Niala, just the <laughs> fact that you still get emotional about where you ended up in life. I, it's just so beautiful. And it's just such a testament that, you know, when you're aligned in your purpose, like your steps are ordered, you know what I mean? Like there, mm, this was mm. something that you weren't even thinking. It wasn't even on your radar and just the doors open for you just by you being mm-hmm. open. They open for you to be able to step into this. And now like, it's a world that you never knew would mean so much to you. And, but you're here, you're yeah. living it. It's just, thank you for sharing that. Thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. No, I love, you know, sharing that story because like you said, it really is. Um, I feel like, yeah, my steps have been ordained, Mm -hmm. you know, from when I started, the path has been windy, but Mm -hmm. the, you know, what, like, I've always, like you said, had that as my purpose of, you know, working with people, being an educator. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, um, I'm definitely learning a lot from this conversation because I feel like we have to be reminded of this so often that as long as you are following in your intuition and what you feel like is the path being laid before you, like you're going to end up where you need to be, but you have to kind of follow, there's a formula, there's an order. So Mm -hmm. you have to do that, but you get there by following your passion and being excited, you know, and knowing what you love, knowing what you enjoy. Yes, absolutely. I know, I know. I'm so sorry to leave the episode like that, but I promise you, you will not want to miss next week. Niala has earned our very first explicit warning label for a podcast episode. So I truly know you guys are going to enjoy it. It's all about pleasure activism, something we all could employ in our lives. So if you want to find out a little bit more about Niala, all her info is in the show notes. Uh, So this week, part one, next week, part two, until next time, you know, I love you.